You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. If you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start looking uh, in verse 15, and then we're going to uh, continue on into chapter 2 Timothy. What did I say? Did I say 1 Timothy? Sorry. 2 Timothy, my bad. I was wondering what was going on. Okay. 2 Timothy. I was like, is there something on my face? 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And uh, we're going to go into chapter 2, up through verse 2. With that said, as you turn there, is there there someone in your life that you look up to? No matter how old you are, um, is there someone in your life that you look up to who has been such an example to you of faithfully serving the Lord, uh, of someone who in every area of their life has just demonstrated that faithfulness? Is there someone who has so impacted you uh, that to, to think about how they served is just an encouragement of your faith, an encouragement of, uh, for you to all the more serve faithfully? Do you see how their lives have glorified God? Does, it, does their example spur you on to strive for greater depths of glory for God in your life? Do you have those examples before you? Uh, of course, too, there are also the, the negative examples as well. Uh, there are those who have not been faithful, uh, those who uh, are a discouragement rather than an encouragement to us. And God has purpose for placing those relationships and those different ones in our lives as well, as he is shaping us more and more into the image of Christ and growing us. But we should not forget those who have been faithful brothers and sisters whom God has placed in our lives, who are very ex- uh, examples for us to cause us all the more to strive for faithfulness. And I believe that is something we see in our text here this morning. Though Paul mentions those who were unfaithful and who abandoned him, in urging Timothy to remain faithful, Paul points Timothy to an example of someone they both knew. Someone who served faithfully. And so someone who Timothy could look to as an example of faithfulness. And so be encouraged in his own faithfulness as Paul is urging Timothy in this letter to remain faithful. Last Sunday, going over verses 8 through 14 in chapter 1, we saw Paul tell Timothy, in light of making it clear that, that God had provided everything Timothy could need to remain faithful, that he could remain faithful even through the apostasy that was going on in the church, through the the false teaching that was creeping in, and and through the persecution that was coming hard against Christ's followers, Paul was urging Timothy that in light of everything God had supplied him with, to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And also, too, in not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, Paul also urged Timothy to not be ashamed of, of him, of Paul, either, even as Paul was in prison for his faithfulness to Christ. We then saw Paul command Timothy to join him in suffering, which really was a call, again, to remain faithful. Because that's how Timothy would suffer 
with Paul for the gospel, by being faithful to the gospel, by being faithful to everything God had called him to in the ministry that God called him to. And we saw remaining faithful in light of all the pressures uh, due to everything that would call us to otherwise not be faithful to God. That, that to be faithful and to be willing to suffer all comes from the power that God supplies. And it was by God's power that Timothy would be able to join in Paul in suffering. We see for Paul that, that turning away and not being faithful was not an option for him. Because he knew the God he believed in. He knew God was worthy of his trust. And God was, for sure, worthy of Paul's trust and Timothy's trust. And he is worthy today of our trust. He's the God that never changes, right? The God who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He was worthy then. He's worthy now of our trust. And being worthy of our trust, we can see then that he's worthy of our lives being lived for him. And he's worthy of our lives also, too, being laid down for him, even literally laid down in death. He's worthy. He is our worthy God. And so again, Paul is urging Timothy to be faithful to this God. And he urges him through the gospel truths. He urges him through the the reminder that God has supplied everything that Timothy would need to be faithful. And he reminds him, too, of what God has given by the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers so that Timothy may be faithful. And so as we pick up the text here this morning, we see those who have deserted Paul. Uh, There are those who were not faithful. We see that in verse 15. And then in verses 16 through 18, we see an example of one who has been faithful. And so Paul points to him as an encouragement for Timothy to remain faithful. And then we'll see Paul commands Timothy to be strengthened and to pass on the ministry of the word that he heard from Paul to other faithful men who could also then pass it on. And we see that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. So let's, let's read our text here for this morning. Again, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through chapter 2, verse 2. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all his service that he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It has to be hard uh, to have your freedom stripped away, uh, to be thrown in a, a prison cell or into a dungeon, and to be there just waiting for your execution. Uh, that, that has to be hard. And so how much harder would it be then to not just be imprisoned, uh, not to just be waiting for your execution, but while you're in prison waiting to die, to have so many that you have poured yourself into, so many that you, you minister to and cared for, for for many years, turn their back on you. 
and abandon you in your, your greatest hour of need. That's got to be hard. Now, that must be discouraging and, and maybe even cause you to be tempted to lose all hope and to give up. Yet, as we've already seen in this letter, Paul clearly did not lose all hope. Paul was not going to give up. Instead, Paul was going to remain faithful. And he was going to remain faithful because he knew. He had a settled conviction about the one in whom he believed. He knew his God was worthy of his trust. God had saved Paul for his purposes and and by his grace alone. And so Paul could entrust to him his salvation. He could entrust to him his, his eternal reward for that day when Paul would give an account. That the, the security of his salvation and his reward was not in Paul himself, but in the one he trusted, the one who is worthy of his trust. And so Paul then, knowing this one in whom he believed, he could persevere. And again, as we see here, Paul says that he was deserted by all who were in Asia. And likely due to the fact that that Timothy was located in Asia himself, uh, being there in Ephesus, which was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. Timothy would have known about all of those who were from Asia that abandoned Paul, abandoned him because they were clearly ashamed of Paul and his chains. Like we said last week, it wasn't safe to be associated with one who has been indicted by the Roman government. We we know the phrase, right? Uh, Guilt by association. And that's what these different ones were likely afraid of. That if they were associated with Paul, then they would also be associated with his guilt. That, that they would be charged with the same guilt because they'd be lumped in with Paul. And so again, what was Paul guilty of? He was guilty of faithfulness to Christ. Despite the fact that Christianity was outlawed in the Roman Empire, Uh, Despite the fact that Christians were dying, being crucified, and made to defend themselves against wild dogs in the Colosseums for sport, that even Emperor Nero took many Christians and doused them in tar and, and lit them on fire while they were still alive to use them as human lanterns in his garden. Despite all of this, Paul stood firm. Paul continued to preach Christ, not Caesar, as Lord. And he continued with all the works that God had commissioned him to do as an apostle. So if such faithfulness to Christ and and to his exclusive claim to be Lord and the only sovereign deserving of our worship and uh, our devotion, if that's what Paul was guilty of, then to be ashamed of Paul for not being uh, ashamed of his Lord, but being loyal to who he is, would then mean that those who were ashamed of Paul were ashamed of their Lord and disloyal to who he is. Because to stand for the Lord is to stand with those who stand for the Lord. And so these unfaithful supposed believers in Asia deserted Paul, ashamed of Paul, because ultimately they were ashamed of Christ. Again, this had to have been a great discouragement 
And it would seem, I think, the the catalyst, at least in part, for why Paul was writing this letter. That so many had abandoned Paul and had turned away uh, from Christ. And so Paul wrote to Timothy with concern for Timothy to encourage him to remain faithful. To remind him of all that God had supplied in order that he would remain faithful. To remind him of the gospel. To remind him of the great power of God to save. And so the great power of God to keep one saved and keep one faithful. And to see how worthy God was of Timothy's trust. And how worthy God was of Timothy living his life for him. And even of Timothy laying down his life for him. Paul wrote to Timothy out of this concern for him, desiring to encourage him to remain faithful. And I think many of the the troubling things we see in our day, going around in our world and, and even in our neck of the woods, as we've seen faithful men and churches cave to humanistic ideologies, As for a variety of reasons, uh, we see a continual rise in the uh, perpetuation of a watered-down gospel and and a watered-down preaching, and those turning to bad theology. As we see this, we should ourselves have concern for each other. For, For all those we love in the Lord, that we would want them to remain faithful. And so we should and we must continue to encourage each other in the faith and in our loyalty to our Lord and his word, and come alongside each other and spur each other on to love and good deeds as we are committed to the gathering together of the church, of the gathering of one another. And so we do so and should have concern for each other, wanting the truth of God's word to be protected and going out into each other's lives and and hearing the truth to live it out, that we would all remain faithful. Now, too, as we we see here in this passage, as Paul is talking about all of those who had abandoned him, all of those in Asia, uh, this is one of those areas that we see that the word all uh, does not mean a universal all. So it cannot literally be all who are in Asia that have abandoned Paul. And we might say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, he's, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about all the Christians in Asia. They abandoned Paul. And so, again, that, that does limit the word all to just those who are Christians. But actually, the truth is, I think the context actually limits it even further. That it's, it's not just all Christians, but it's even a, a smaller group. One, because clearly from this letter, and even clearly just from this section, Not all the Christians in Asia abandoned Paul. The most obvious one is who? Timothy. Timothy, who's there in Ephesus, the capital of Asia, has not abandoned Paul. And then we'll see in verse 16 as well, Onesiphorus, he did not abandon Paul. But of those who abandoned him, Paul gives two examples Phygelus and Hermogenes, which would indicate that these are examples of a specific group. And many take this to be in reference to those who were leaders in the church in Asia, uh, that, that all the leaders that Phygelus and Hermogenes would be associated with, that that group has abandoned Paul. And whether that's exactly what it was or, or, or some other 
uh, details of this. That's it, at least it's something to that gist. Uh, but clearly, not everyone has abandoned Paul. Uh, again, Timothy and Osiphorus has not. But as we continue here and, and, and think about what Paul is saying in this letter, it's something to be thankful for, to realize that even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of discouragement, the Lord, providing in many ways, as, as we've already seen, also provides those brothers and sisters who will be an encouragement to us in those times. As they stand strong, even in the midst of adversity, as they are faithful and continue to serve and demonstrate their love and care for the church and for us individually as well. We must praise God for such brothers and sisters as he uses them as examples in our lives to encourage us to remain faithful. And I think that's, that's what Paul was doing here as he points to Onesiphorus as an example of, of one who remained faithful. We see this here in verse 16 when Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Uh, clearly here we see this man was an encouragement to Paul, and Paul wanted to use him to encourage Timothy. You know, there are those around us who are an encouragement, and, and those who should be an encouragement to us. But sometimes we can't see that. Uh, because sometimes we have an overblown view of our circumstances, and we tell ourselves that things are worse than they actually are, even no matter how bad they, they are. <laughs> things can be pretty bad, and yet still we, we can make them in our minds worse. And we can do this as we, we use these absolute statements to uh, bring ourselves into all this drudgery. We can say things like, you know, everyone's against me, or it always happens to me. And so we don the party hat, and we throw ourselves a pity party. And we take such a skewed position as we focus on ourselves, and so therefore we can't see clearly. It kind of reminds me of that uh, Keith Green song, right? I can't see when my eyes are on me. Um, and that's, that's what we, we often do. We can't see clearly because we're just focused on ourselves and our own misery. And, and so we refuse to think clearly. And so uh, we discourage ourselves beyond what we would have even struggled with if we were just taking an honest perspective of our situation. And so in doing so, we miss the encouragement that God has placed all around us in our brothers and sisters who are around us. And really, we do this because ultimately we're not trusting God. We're not tr trusting in his good, sovereign control. I think a good example of this uh, in the Old Testament is Elijah. Right? Elijah, who was discouraged because of the apostasy in Israel, with King Ahaz and his wife Jezebel leading Israel into Baal and Asherah worship. And then, too, with Jezebel seeking to have Elijah killed. Elijah fell into this depression. And we, we see him say to God in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, we read there, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
Now, this is actually the second time he says this here in verse 14. Uh, the first time he says this, back in verse 10, God gives him a, an object lesson. And then when he says it again, God responds by giving him instructions. And then God says in verse 18, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so we see here that Elijah had an overblown view of his situation. He was discouraged thinking he was the last faithful servant of God there in Israel. And they were trying to kill him. And if they did, then what? But the truth is, he wasn't the last faithful servant there in Israel. God was going to keep 7,000, 7,000 who had yet and would not bow the knee to Baal and worship the gods of Jezebel. So Elijah wasn't really alone. God sovereignly was keeping others faithful to himself. But again, we, we can do the same thing that we see Elijah do here. Uh, we can have an overblown perspective and, and miss then those whom God has sovereignly placed around us, those who God is sovereignly keeping faithful, that can be an encouragement to us to be faithful. And so again, that, that's what God's doing with Onesiphorus here. He was a guy that was remaining faithful and so therefore can be an encouragement to Timothy to remain faithful. And he was an encouragement clearly to Paul as we see here in this text. And so just think, if Paul just turned his eyes in on himself and, and was woe is me in, in, in a situation that I think none of us would, would condemn Paul for saying woe is me, right? But Paul could very easily miss the encouragement that Onesiphorus would be for him. And so would miss the opportunity to use him to encourage Timothy. We, we, have to, we have to have a right perspective on things and see that there are those that God has placed in our lives, faithful brothers and sisters who encourage us in our time of need, encourage us to remain faithful as well. Now, we could be asking, who, who is this guy? Who is Onesiphorus? Well, I don't know. Because like... Phygelus and Hermogenes, all we know about him is right here in this passage. That's it. Again, but clearly he was a blessing to Paul. And so Paul desired, because he was a blessing to him, Paul desired that Onesiphorus, and not just Onesiphorus, but his whole household would be shown mercy by God. And we see here that not just once, but many times he was an encouragement to Paul, refreshing Paul. You say, well, how did he refresh Paul? He doesn't say exactly, but clearly, though, this was a, a great encouragement for Paul. And even while Paul was in prison, when everyone else was deserting Paul and ashamed of Paul, he stood with Paul. We read there in verse 17, it says, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Again, we compared this verse to the imprisonment that we see in Acts. In Acts, where Paul was in a house, a house that Paul rented as he was under house arrest, and there, were, there was free access to Paul. It was clear and, and known where Paul was, and so people were able to get to him easily. But clearly, that was not the case here when Paul was in imprisonment in Rome. And, and so clearly, this is a, a different imprisonment than what we see in Acts. And so when Onesiphorus arrived in Rome, he had to search for Paul. 
and search for him with great determination. And, and, and this could even imply that, that his search uh, was detrimental to his own safety uh, in trying to search for Paul. But he did so anyway, and, and he did find Paul. And so with great gratitude for Onesiphorus and all the great lengths that he went to for Paul, we see Paul in verse 18 once again asks for God's mercy. But specifically this time, he asked that God would grant Onesiphorus mercy on that day. This is on that day. This is in reference to the same day that Paul was uh, talking about what he entrusted for the Lord to keep safe for him on that day, back in verse 12. It's that day when all who trust in Christ, all whom Christ has saved, will give an account before their risen Lord for their service, for either a gain or a loss of reward. Again, Paul knew his eternal place, his reward, was secure in the Lord for that day of accounting. And so, too, he also prayed that Oniphorus would see mercy on that day because of his service to Paul. And clearly, he not only served Paul well, but he served the whole church well, as seen by his service there at the church in Ephesus. And Paul says here to Timothy, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Timothy, being a leader in the church there in Ephesus, would have had firsthand knowledge of how faithful this brother was and how encouraging this brother was. And so he was a perfect candidate for Paul to point to as an encouragement, an example for Timothy to remain faithful. Because Onesiphorus clearly was remaining faithful. Again, let us not miss the brothers and sisters around us whom God can use to encourage us Encourage us in our time of need. Encourage us in our temptation. Uh, let us not be blind in self-pity and miss those around us whom God is working in, those whom God is keeping faithful. And so can be an example, an encouragement for us to remain faithful. And so then as we're encouraged by our brothers and sisters around us to remain faithful, let us then be an encouragement and example for others to remain faithful as well. Let us be that person that God uses for someone else. Let us be an Ossiphorus. And then after pointing to this brother, after pointing to Ossiphorus, as someone who would be an encouragement, Paul then says in chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my child... As Paul said again, my child, uh, Paul expresses his, his love uh, for Timothy, the, the relationship that they have together. He says, you then, and that word then there is a word, a Greek word that often gets translated as therefore. And so it points back to what Paul has just been talking about, about those in Asia who had abandoned him and about Onesiphorus and his faithfulness. And so from these things, Paul draws a conclusion and what's the conclusion he draws? Well, that Timothy is to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, when he says be strengthened, that's a command. And therefore, it should invoke Timothy's will. Uh, Timothy is responsible to be strengthened. Uh, but at the same time, the verb is passive, which means then that it is actually God that accomplishes this strengthening in Timothy. So what God does the source of the strength was not in Timothy at all. But as we see here, the strength was by grace. 
by God's unmerited favor. And it is this grace that one receives when they are in Christ Jesus, and when they have Christ as their representative, their representative before the Father, so that everything that's Christ is now theirs by faith. So Christ's righteousness is our righteousness. That Christ's death to pay the debt of sin is our death for sin. And so that we are forgiven, our sin dealt with, and stand as righteous before God in the righteousness of Christ because we are in Christ. We have Christ as our representative. And so this grace that is referred to here is the grace that saves us. And the grace that saves us is also the grace that strengthens us, strengthens believers for faithful living for their Lord. And it takes grace. It takes grace to be saved because we can't save ourselves. We can't add to it in any way. There's nothing we can do for our salvation. It takes grace to be saved, and it takes grace to live out the Christian life in faithfulness. Without knowing this grace, we can't be saved. Without knowing this grace, we we can't live in obedience to our Lord. We must depend on him. Knowing just as our salvation depends on him, so too our strength. And the will to obey depends on him. And as others have remained faithful, Paul and Cephas, who again were just men, just like Timothy, really, there, there was nothing actually special about them in of themselves. They're just men like Timothy, serving the same God that Timothy served, knowing the same grace of salvation that Timothy knew. And so therefore, as they trusted in God that they could remain faithful, so too that should encourage Timothy to say, I can remain faithful as I trust in God as well. And so in that way, they are an encouragement to Timothy to remain faithful by trusting in the Lord, by depending upon the Lord. That Timothy can faithfully fulfill all that God has called him to in his life. And so with that, too, we see what, what extents of things that God has called him to. As again, we think of Paul sitting there in prison, waiting his execution. Paul is, is looking to pass the baton of his ministry on to Timothy. For Timothy to continue to spread the gospel and serve the church. And so as Paul calls Timothy to be strengthened, to remain faithful, he calls Timothy to continue on the teaching that he had heard from Paul. Paul had trained Timothy, and Timothy served with Paul, and, and he heard Paul teach. And his teaching would be that that included the gospel, would be including doctrine and the commands to the church. And so being strengthened, Timothy was to take what he heard from Paul, as Paul had entrusted it to Timothy, And Timothy was to turn around and train others and so entrust it to other men. Trust this apostolic teaching to others who could then turn around and teach it to others. And so the the inference here is that it would just keep perpetually being passed on to others who could teach others who could turn around and teach others and on and on and on. Which is what has kept the preaching of the gospel and God's word in the church preaching the scriptures, going on from generation to generation. 
These things that Timothy heard from Paul, they were not private messages. They were not this, this secret knowledge. But Timothy heard from Paul these things in the presence of witnesses. Timothy heard them from Paul in the presence of others who were hearing it from Paul. So these were all public things. This was public teaching. These were things that were widely known. And so the good deposit that was entrusted to Timothy, what Timothy was to take and entrust into other men, is the good deposit of gospel ministry. So I think we see here then, too, the importance of what is taught in the church and the importance of, of that there are faithful men to teach it, to pass it along and train others to also teach it. This is how Christianity has continued on with orthodox teaching, with the original teaching that was first entrusted to that first generation of apostles and passed on to each generation that follows, keeping God's faithful people faithfully standing on his word. And so it must be faithful men who are entrusted with the teaching. Faithful men. Not unfaithful men. Faithful men, but not men who are faithful to their own personal traditions. Faithful men, but not faithful men who are are devoted and, and faithful to themselves. Not men who, in the fear of the Lord, or the fear of man are faithful to the pressures of, that men would put around them. But despite cultural pressures, despite the, the edicts of tyrants who would sanction opposition to the truth and the message of the gospel, despite whatever pressures there may be, those who are entrusted with the message, to pass on to others to entrust them with the message, they all must be men who are faithful to Christ faithful to proclaim his word, no matter the cost, no matter the opposition, and pass on that teaching to other faithful men who will do the same. And so, brothers and sisters, who should be responsible for the overseeing of what is taught here at North Valley? For the passing on of this teaching to others, uh, to keep teaching so that the church continues to have the right teaching, the teaching of the scriptures, the teaching of God's word. And as we think about elders, who should be those faithful men who are able to teach? And also, too, then, thinking about elders, who are those men who are faithful and so are an example and encouragement for our faithfulness? So that we will see how God has strengthened these men and, and so no know their service, so that we too understand we serve the same God as they do. And so as they're strengthened, we too can be strengthened. There must be faithful men who are able to teach, faithful men who can be an example of faithfulness for the rest of us to follow. And then too, as we follow their example, we then can be an example for others to follow. Uh, one thing we've been discussing in, in the men's Bible study is that whether you are called to be an elder or not, uh, we should all be serving faithfully as elders do. And in the men's Bible study, again, we've been discussing that as men, we are called to be leaders. And we discuss how one way we lead in the church is by leading by example. And being that, that faithful example so that others can strive to be faithful as well. 
And in that, I shared a quote that I heard from a sermon by Don Green. Uh, And uh, he said this, We need men who live and lead like elders, whether they have the title of elder or not. We need men who embrace the importance of truth and realize the importance of communicating that truth to the upcoming generation and take an interest in souls, take an interest in the body of Christ and say, I will be one who contributes to the strength of the body and not simply live my own selfish little life, pursuing my own little interests and pleasures in disregard to how the body of Christ itself is doing. Men who will step up in times of weakness and conflict within the church and be a voice for strength and fidelity to Christ and love and forgiveness and unity. And who will undertake that and say, those principles matter and my life will be given to uphold them. That's what God calls us to. That's what the church of Christ needs. And we do. We need leaders like that, but we also just need men in general like that to be an example for for all of us to follow. And then as we all follow that example, we'll all then be examples for others to follow. We'll all be an encouragement for one another to remain faithful as the Lord supplies for us to be faithful as we spur each one another on into service for our Lord. Are we faithful? Are we striving to be faithful? Are we struggling to be faithful and find ourselves in a time of needing to be encouraged? Are there those around us who can encourage us in that faithfulness to strive in our service for our Lord in Christ-likeness? Are we a church that in that faithfulness is standing on the truth of God's word? And are we looking to have faithful teachers who will continue to teach that word and pass it on to others who will teach that word? Are we remaining faithful, knowing that God has supplied for us in every way through all that he has given us in his power and love and self-control as we discussed the last two weeks, and all that he has given us in the gospel proclamation and the reminder of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf? As we think of the Holy Spirit indwelling each one of us, that each of us, just like all of those we've read about here this morning, are just mere men, flesh and blood, just like us. But they are men who serve the God that we serve, the God who strengthened them to faithfulness, and so will too strengthen us to be faithful. So what reason do we have to not be faithful? And so let us look to each other and spur each other on. Let us build each other up. Together look to the Lord and trust him to be faithful. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnvbc.com.